I want to welcome you, especially if you're visiting with us or if you're watching online, uh, to our second Good Friday service, our noon service. Um, was also well attended, so we're grateful that you chose to spend part of your Good Friday with us. It's interesting to me, you know, I've always pondered why we call Good Friday Good Friday when it's a day that we celebrate Jesus' death, but it is to us who are saved really good. Amen? Because if our Savior doesn't die, then we have nothing. We're still lost and we're dead in our trespasses and sins. And so tonight we'll be celebrating the gift of grace, the cross of Christ. And no better way to do that on the eve of Passover uh, than to come to the communion table. And it is in fact that Passover message that we'll really look at because on the night that Jesus was betrayed, guess where he was? At Passover. And so tonight as we begin our passage, I want to take us back a little bit uh, and I want to journey with the disciples. We'll be in Luke's gospel and we'll actually not go there, but we'll really be beginning in in chapter 19 and just taking a little cross-section to get us to this moment in time where we'll pick up in chapter 22. Jesus has journeyed with the disciples. He's come up the road from Jericho. Uh, He's traveled from Jericho, which is about 35 miles north and slightly east of Jerusalem. He's come from the Jordan River Valley, traveled up this road that uh, very often was a place that you would find robbers. It's the place that we found the Samaritan Uh, that ultimately ends up in trouble. It's this road that winds through this canyon along the backside of the Judean foothills and down to this desert city uh, called Jericho. And Jesus is traveling. It's on that road that he would find uh, this tax collector, Zacchaeus, who's in a tree and speaks to Zacchaeus. He says, come on down. Uh, We've got some things we need to take care of. And Zacchaeus becomes a believer. And so as Jesus is traveling with the disciples, we really spend the first day of the week with Jesus on that Passover week as he's coming into Jerusalem. We would then find him coming up the Jericho Road, reaching first to Bethpage and then to Bethany, the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And it's going to be Lazarus that will actually come into Jerusalem with the disciples, with Jesus, and he is case in point number one when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me, though he should die, he shall live. Amen? So here's Lazarus traveling with him. They crest over the top of the Mount of Olives. Uh, We were there just last week, and as we stood on the top of the Mount of Olives, we're looking down this road that travels down uh, to the edge of the Garden of Gethsemane, just a uh, short stone's throw from the brook Kidron. And here comes Jesus with the disciples. And Jesus, not on a regular uh, transit of a triumphal entry, he's on a donkey, worse yet, on the foal of a donkey. Amen? And so here comes the king, the high priest of heaven, traveling into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey. That's the first day of what we call Passion Week. 
days two through four, Jesus spends ministering in the temple. And as Jesus ministers in the temple, the very first thing he does upon descending the Mount of Olives, riding into Jerusalem, the crowd shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The first thing he does is goes into the temple and flips over the money changers' tables. The only act of any type of anger that we see in all of the Gospels is Jesus dealing with religious hypocrisy. And it is there I want to stop for just a moment tonight. And I pray that there's no one here tonight that's here because of religion. I pray you've come because you have a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But if you're here tonight and you came for a religious purpose, before we really dig into our passage, I want to flip over the religious tables of your life and remind you that religion saves no one. There is a king in heaven who came to this earth. His name is Jesus. And he died on Calvary's cross to set you free from the bondage of sin and death. And if you will believe in his name, you will be saved. But church going can't save you. Giving can't save you. Being religious can't save you. Only believing on the only begotten Son of God can save you. And at the end of our service tonight, we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper. And the reason I'm saying this is this supper is holy and it's serious. To we who believe, these elements represent the broken body and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus. They represent the price, if you will, of our grace. What Jesus had to go through so that one day I can go to heaven. Amen? He died so that we can live. And so I want you to know if you're here and you're visiting. If you came because you saw a banner on the building. If you're here because someone invited you. That before we come to the communion table... You can square away your eternity tonight by believing in the only begotten Son of God. And you can join us. But this night, for the disciples, was the very same night as we celebrate tonight. It was the beginning of a high holy day, it was the beginning of Shabbat to the Jews. Jesus is now firmly in the face of the persecution of Annas and Caiaphas, the scribes, the elders, the members of the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they're all fixing their gaze on Jesus. And Jesus is without taking a breath, continuing to minister truth to them, reminding them that all of their religion had done nothing to save any of them. And it's because of that that Annas and Caiaphas realize they've got to kill this guy. He's got to go. It's time for his life to end. 
They try and trap him with trick questions about marriage and how can David and Jesus be related? Jesus excoriates them publicly. He goes back into the temple and tells this parable of the widow's might while all of the Pharisees and the Sadducees are playing their horns and banging their drums and dumping their coins into these giant bronze vessels in the temple treasury. Jesus is saying, do you see the little widow over there who's given her two mites? It's all that she has, but in her giving, she's done more than all of you. It was that night. It was those circumstances Jesus would finally tell the story of this withered fig tree. And in doing so, he, he speaks over the children of Israel. He said, oh, I, I would that you would come unto me, but you would not. I wanted to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not come unto me. And he goes on to tell them that there, there's a day coming when the very temple that they're staring at which is Herod's temple, this beautiful monument that stood on the Temple Mount, glistening in the morning sun as Jesus arose, uh, rode into town on that, on that donkey. As he's looking at the eastern gate, which today is walled up as if a cemetery outside and the filling in of the wall is going to keep the king from coming back. But as Jesus speaks to this issue, he says, I want you to know something. And that's going to come a time when I'm going to gather back from all the nations of the earth my people. And at that time, there will not be a stone left one on top of another on that temple mount from that building right there. And as we were walking around the southern steps and going through the Davidson Center just a week ago. There they are. The former foundation stones of the very temple at a heap at the base of the wall, fulfilling the very words of Jesus, not one stone will be left on top of another until our king comes again. We finished up our time at the garden tomb, and I can tell you something, the tomb's still empty. But Jesus, on this final night before he's killed, decides that he's going to celebrate one last Passover with his disciples. If you'd turn to Luke chapter 22, verse 1, and then we'll pray. And now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus into the world that the world through him would be saved. King Jesus, Lord Jesus, Savior, we thank you that you counted it not robbery to come to this earth and to die, even the death of the cross, that we might be saved. Lord, we honor you tonight. We thank you tonight. We praise you tonight. We honor you tonight. 
We pray that you'd be honored with the intent of our heart. And so, Lord, take your word and speak to us as your people. God, we thank you for loving us. For those of us that know you, Lord, we we proclaim with our very lives that you alone are God. And we are your people. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In verse 2, And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. You see, Jesus had just come into Jerusalem. He's such a public figure, it wasn't like they could just openly execute him. Hundreds of thousands of people, perhaps as many as two million people, had thronged into Jerusalem. The historian Flavius Josephus would write just a few years later that during that time, the 200,000 lambs had been slaughtered in Jerusalem, each one representing perhaps maybe 10 people. So during that time in Palestine, called so by the Romans, maybe 2 million people had celebrated Passover. But there were nonetheless probably more people in Jerusalem on that Passover when Jesus rode into town at Passover week when he showed up, announced as king, when they proclaimed, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There were more people in Jerusalem then than lived there today. The population today is only 900,000. It was packed. And people were everywhere. Roman troops stationed to prevent a riot. The temple guards wandering everywhere on the temple mount. And so here's the plot. And then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. Nobody knew. So much so that the disciples are going to argue. They're going to want to know, is it me? Who is it? And so when he went his way and conferred with the chief priest and the captains how he might betray him to them. And we know because the prophet Zechariah reminds us exactly what the price for Jesus would ultimately be. It was a lousy 30 pieces of silver. It was a month's wages to a common worker. It was 30 denarii. I happen to have a Greek denarius in my office. It's a little tiny coin. It's about half the size of a penny. Shekels. Nothing is another way to look at it. You see, that's what religion can do. It can blind to such an extent that the life of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords becomes nothing but a month's worth of wages. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. And so he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. They didn't want to do it in plain sight. Nobody wanted to get caught, didn't want to let anybody know what they were thinking. And now we pick up the meat of the story. And then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover lamb must be killed. This story becomes almost unbelievable at this point. Because everything about this day was speaking of Messiah. 
and yet somehow the Jewish people missed Messiah in it. They, they couldn't see the Passover lamb was in their midst. And so it had to happen because that's what day it was. And then he sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare Passover for us that we may eat. Now remember, it's packed. There's no room in the inn. The Motel 6 was full. There was no room at the KOA. There was no doorstep, no place for you to put your head Everywhere was filled. It was the eve of Shabbat on a high holy day in the only place that the Jewish people came twice a year, the Feast of Tabernacles and the Feast of Passover, and everybody's in town. And so they said to him, where do you want us to prepare? Like, where are we going to do this? You can almost see him going, are are you kidding me? Have you looked around recently, Jesus? And yes, I'm paraphrasing, illustrating a little bit. And he said to them, and this is such a beautiful part of the story, Behold, when you've entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water and follow him into the house in which he enters. Now, probably some of you are going, so what? Well, here's the problem. Men didn't carry pitchers of water. It was a woman's job. No man would be caught dead carrying a pitcher of water in the city of Jerusalem. Chances are there was exactly one man carrying one pitcher of water in all of the city of Jerusalem and Jesus knew exactly who he was. And he said, I want you to follow him because he's already prepared the feast of Passover and he did it for us. You see, if you're God, then you know the one guy in all of the city of Jerusalem who happens to be doing the work of a woman. You may not like that culturally, but that was the acceptable way of things during that day. And then you should say to the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat Passover with my disciples? And then he will show you a large furnished upper room and there make ready. They're going to celebrate a Passover dinner. They're going to celebrate a Seder to be very specific. And so when they went, they found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. And the reason this is indicated the way it is, is the writer Luke, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is letting us know There wasn't just bread and wine in that room. There was a whole Passover meal prepared in that room. And it is that that I will share with you in just a moment. And when the hour had come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. And then he said to them, with a fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. 
Passover, 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 Passover. Jesus wants to celebrate one last Passover with the disciples. Why would he want to do that? For I say to you, I will no longer eat until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then he took a cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, For this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, he also took the cup after supper. And if you will please note, that's not one cup twice. That's two different cups. Also an important piece of the puzzle here in this passage. He took the cup after supper. So they finished up dinner. This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And then they began to question among themselves which of them it was who would do this thing. The truth of the matter is, yes, Judas sold Jesus for 30 shekels, but it was really you and I. One last Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. What was Jesus getting at? Because let's face it, who's in the crowd? Jesus. He's Jewish. Who's with him? The disciples. What are they? Jewish. Where are they at? Jerusalem. A city for the Jewish people. The whole setting of this evening is a Jewish setting. And so to understand it in a Jewish context is very important for some reason because not once, not twice, not three, four times we find mentioned that this is Passover. There was a reason for that. What's the meaning of it? Well, short, it's Israel's birthday. It was Israel's birthday in Exodus chapter 11 and chapter 12. And it's Israel's birthday even to this day. Because the nation was birthed out of Egypt. They came into existence. But they were brought forth out of bondage. And so the Lord during that time instructs them, look, there's going to come a final plague and that final plague is going to take the life of the firstborn of everyone unless something very special is done on your house. You need to make sure that you spread the blood of an innocent lamb on the lintel of your home, the window ledge of your home, and the doorpost of your home. So in the horizontal and in the vertical, you need to spread blood because when the angel of the Lord sees that blood, he'll pass over and you'll not be harmed. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And unless your sin is passed over tonight, then you'll have to deal with your own sin. And the only way for that sin to be dealt with is that Jesus on the cross dealt with your sin for you. 
So it begins with this picture of Passover. The animal is sacrificed, its blood is spilled. From Pharaoh's position, here are these people that have been in his employ for 400 years. Ten plagues are are announced on them. Pharaoh will not let the people go. But it's interesting to me that they were actually instructed in Exodus chapter 12 on how they were to eat that meal. And it says there in, in verse 11 that you would eat it with your cloak tucked into your belt, sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Can I tell you that that's exactly how the church ought to be viewing tonight? Are you ready to go home to be with Jesus? Because this world is not our home. Egypt was not the Jewish people's home. They were there because of rebellion, but God sets them free by passing over their sin because of the shed blood of an innocent animal. And this world is not your home tonight because if you have believed in the only begotten Son, your sins have been passed over because it was paid for with the blood of the Lamb. You see, this whole picture is immensely important to Good Friday. Because it wasn't just any night of the year. Do you remember when John the Baptist was baptizing in the Jordan? Do you remember what he said when Jesus came down to the river? He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Up to that point, the sin was never taken away. It was atoned for. It was put away, but it wasn't taken away. The scapegoat was always sent out. And the next year, another scapegoat was sent out. And the next year, another sin offering was made. And another atonement was made. The sin was only covered. And so John says, you know what? There's going to be one last Passover. And when that Passover is celebrated, you're celebrating the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now do you know why Jesus said, I have waited to celebrate this Passover with you. So here comes Jesus and the disciples and they sit down at this triclinium, this three-sided table. And I'm sorry if you love Michelangelo, the painting is wrong. It wasn't a straight long table with everybody in nice neat order. It would have been in the shape of a U with the guest of honor sitting roughly in the center. And next to him to his right side would have been, guess who? Judas Iscariot. Because he's the only one that could have dipped bread at the same time as Jesus. The one who dips bread with me. Judas is sitting in the seat of honor next to Jesus. One last chance. Judas, seriously, are you going to do this? To the very end, Jesus is speaking even into Judas's life of his grace. And so they sit down to a Passover meal, a Seder. The first step of which, which is in a context of, of the rabbinical teachings of the time, 
you would send throughout the house, usually the children, but very often uh, everyone would get involved and they'd go with a feather and a spoon and they would look for every tiny piece of anything leavened. You see, because here's the thing for you and I tonight. Unless every bit of leaven is out of your life, you can't inherit the kingdom of God. And so Jesus, no doubt, sends the disciples, okay, let's make sure this is good. I'm going to give you an object lesson. I want you to go through the house and I want you to sweep it for leaven. Because I think Jesus was going to give them the full picture. But he said, I want to celebrate this Passover with you before I suffer. I want you to understand, in other words, why I'm doing what I'm doing. And so top to bottom, they go through, nothing is left untouched. The next thing that would happen is that they would wash their hands. They use a special labor today, a a small pot, and it has two handles on it, which allows you to wash one hand while having your hand on the pot, and then wash the other hand while still having your hand on the pot without ever touching anything else. But here comes Jesus. And what does he do? Instead of washing hands, he strips himself, girds himself with a towel, and begins to wash their feet. And you remember what Peter did? Oh, Lord, wash my whole body. (laughs) He said, no, it's okay, Peter. I got this. If you're washed in me, you're good. The whole evening is going to be an object lesson to them about why this is the only way that anyone ever sees heaven. And so here Jesus sits down and he washes their feet, washes their hands. It would then light the candles. Remember what Jesus has already said. Oh, by the way, I am the light of the world. And he that walks in me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Amen? You can imagine them lighting the Passover candles. Do you remember when I was standing on the temple steps and we were looking in and you could see the menorah and I said, I am the light of the world? Do you remember that part? These candles are supposed to represent that same light. They would then go to the Haggadah, which is just simply the telling of the story, the story of Exodus. And as that story is told, it ends with a very interesting question. One that I'm sure Jesus would have known by heart. He would have said to them, why is this night different than all other nights? Why is that? Can you imagine them locking that question into their minds? You see, we don't have any record of him actually asking the question, but it would have been part of the Seder. And so here they are, and they sit down, and and all of these object lessons... And the little ones would normally be told this story in a rather animated way. And you can almost see Jesus kind of go, guys, do you get it? Why is tonight different than every other night? 
the answer actually was, by noon tomorrow, I'm going to be dead. And he picks up the first cup, which was the cup of, of blessing. It's recited, blessed are you, Lord, the Lord God, the King of the universe, who created the fruit of the vine. And so it began with just blessing God for who he is. And so God, in flesh, Jesus says, blessed is God. The second cup, as he would pick that up, no doubt drank from that one as well. That was the cup of the plagues. And so Jesus drinks that one down. You know what's interesting? We find no record of Jesus asking anyone else to drink the cup of the plagues. It appears as though he drank that one himself. You see, because he actually took sin upon us. The sin that was my sin, the sin that was your sin, the sins of the weight of the world were heaped on him. He took care of our sin. They would actually recite the ten plagues. I had a lot more than ten plagues in my life before I met Jesus. I can tell you that. And then comes this beautiful picture, this three-compartment bag called the afikomen. And in the center of it, there was a single piece of matzah which was pulled out of the bag. It was broken in half. Half was put back into the bag and the other half was wrapped and hidden who do you think that was and so here's Jesus he pulls out the middle piece of matzah this is my body broken for you as often as you do this do so in remembrance of me half goes in the grave half is wrapped to be resurrected later He says, I've desired to eat this one last Passover with you. They would go through all these things and down the plate they would go. The greens that were dipped in salt water, the tears of the strain of working out all this bondage in in Egypt and the the egg because at that time remember after the Babylonian captivity there was no ark no ark of the covenant existed they're 200 yards from the temple there's no ten commandments there's no ark there's no Aaron's staff that budded there's no pot of manna there's no pillar or cloud and so this, this plate just reminded them of that which was previously able to be expressed. And it would take the bitter herb, which was usually horseradish. Now, I don't know how many of you like pure horseradish on your prime rib. But some of that stuff, you can cry before it ever gets to your mouth. That bitterness of slavery was was visible to the disciples. Worse than 
slavery. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but he's made us alive, amen? You know, sometimes it's good to remember, even in tears, who we once were. Once I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. You see, he wanted to celebrate Passover. They would come to the charoset, this this mixture of chopped apples and nuts and honey and cinnamon and grapes, all kinds of stuff in it. And and it kind of pictured the mortar that was used for the bricks and and, and it was it was good. You wanted to use you, you didn't want to have to manufacture that yourself. So in some sense it was sweet, but it was still hard work. And and they're saying, look, that's all over. The bondage is done. Everything he has made sweet. And there on the plate a shank bone, an unbroken bone. You you see the lamb's bones couldn't be broken can you imagine when peter and john the disciples were looking at jesus and the roman soldier came to break the legs of jesus but he got to jesus and he had already said father into thy hands i commit my spirit to tell us it is finished and he gave up his life it wasn't taken from him there on the plates this unbroken bone from a lamb Not one bone of him would be broken. It's right there on the plate for them to look at. It happens the next day. And then finally they'd come back to this little three-compartment bag called the Afikomen. And here, here the children would normally go out. Can you imagine Jesus saying, Okay, guys, I want you to run and look in the bag and then I want you to go find the other piece can you imagine when Peter and John had the foot race to the tomb gee I wonder what he was talking about so he looked at that matzah with the holes in it and we could go on and on and on with this but this was an object lesson for them that they could tie to their very existence as people uh, of Judah. The Jewish people. And it was that third cup that he took after supper. This cup is the new covenant. That was the cup of redemption. So here Jesus drinks of it. He says, as often as you drink of this cup, the third one, the cup of redemption... Remember who redeemed you. He says, do so in remembrance of me. He's saying, I'm the redeemer. Jesus had a date with the devil before that would happen. And I'm going to ask the communion team to begin to pass out the elements of communion. And I want to remind you, if you're here tonight and you have yet to invite Jesus Christ into your life as your personal Lord and Savior, then I'm going to ask you, when we get to communion and we're going to partake, I'm going to give you an opportunity to invite Christ into your life. 
If you choose not to do that, you can allow the elements to go by or you can simply not partake, but please don't partake of the Lord's broken body and his shed blood in a manner that's unworthy of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. If you don't mean it, don't do it. But here is, as Jesus is meeting with the disciples, the Sanhedrin's in session, the judges would sit and debate and they've decided that Jesus has to die. And so here comes Judas. And Jesus, Jesus is saying, look, the one who dips his hand with me is the one that's going to betray me. He's on a divine dinner date, if you will, with the disciples. And you can almost imagine as they were thinking about it, Jesus had said something unique. The hour had come. And I tell you that that hour had been coming for a very long time. That hour began to come the moment Adam and Eve sinned and were in need of a covering for their sin because they couldn't take care of that sin themselves. And so what does God do? He slaughters an innocent animal, sheds its blood, and covers them. So by the time Moses puts all these things into what we would call the Torah, the first five books, the Pentateuch, the book of Leviticus declares for us that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. You see, the hour of Jesus paying the price for our sin had been coming since the Garden of Eden. It moved closer still when Jesus came to this planet. He came during the time of an Igemean king named Herod. And Herod says, All the firstborn have to go. But Jesus came anyway. Can you imagine how close it got when Jesus took his carpenter's apron off and put it on the shelf of his father's shop in Nazareth and said, I must be busy about my father's business. And he went about Galilee sharing the good news. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. You see, it got really close And now it's finally on the disciples. The hour was there where he's going to just share with them. It's like, guys, I want you to get what's going to happen right now. As he came down the Mount of Olives, as he descended down that little twisting path, today it's paved and it would have been dirt. All these people camped out everywhere, looking down on the Temple Mount, just a few hundred yards across the Brook Kidron. And here comes Jesus and this entourage. It was on that night, the night, that the Passover lamb would be slain. No wonder the Apostle John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Everything about that evening, before Jesus would be tried six times, all of them illegally, before Jesus would have a death sentence pronounced on him 
And Pilate would say, I find no fault in this man. Before he would be beaten and his beard plucked, before the crown of thorns went on his head, before the robe was draped on him, before he was smited on his head with the rod, before he was forced to carry his own cross to Golgotha, before any of that happened, I must celebrate this one last Passover. He said, I want you to get this. I want you to understand what I'm doing. And it would be on that night, interestingly enough, that the way that lamb was actually sacrificed is a branch of pomegranate wood. One would be put through the ram in the vertical and one through the horizontal making the shape of, guess what? A cross. And then it would be roasted. You you see, that cross was how you and I came to have salvation in Christ Jesus. Christ is our Passover. That's why the Apostle Paul said that. He is our Passover. He was sacrificed in my place. He was sacrificed in your place. This was all by the plan plan of God. So the next morning, as at midnight, Jesus enters the garden. And here comes the high priest and his entourage and a cohort of Roman soldiers. This, this mass of humanity come to arrest a Galilean preacher. There's Jesus. And Peter said, oh no, they're not going to arrest you. It hasn't been four hours and Peter's already forgotten the whole object lesson that we just discussed. No, Peter, I must celebrate this one last Passover with you. I'm the lamb. I'm going to drink of the cup of the plagues for you because you can't drink of it for yourself. John's words now come true. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was a lamb without blemish. He was perfect. Do you know the words of the governor of Judea declared that, by the way? I find no fault in this man. Not one thing that he said condemns him. Said, wouldn't you like to trade? We'll execute Barabbas. You can have Jesus. And what did the people who were celebrating Passover, who sees Jesus in this role, what did they say? We do not want this man ruling over us. That's why Jesus stopped and wept before he came into Jerusalem. And he said, 
Woe unto you, for you do not know the hour of the appearing of the Son of Man. The name that Daniel had given Messiah. You see, here's Jesus. And he says, I have one last Passover to celebrate with you. Jesus fit all the qualifications of the Passover lamb. Can you imagine the aged John as he sits in that cave on the island of Patmos out in the middle of the Aegean Sea off the coast of modern day Turkey as he's sitting there and he sees as part of the vision of Revelation chapter 5, behold, I saw a one who is as a lamb before the slaughter. The one who was slaughtered. You remember what he says? Who is worthy to unloose the scrolls? Behold the Lamb. The only one that holds the keys to life and death. The only one that one day is going to chain up Satan and throw him where he belongs in the pit. Amen? Amen. The one who died on Calvary's cross for you is none other than the lamb. The final Passover lamb. Marking your release exactly as the apostle Paul said from the slavery of sin. There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen? Why? Because he paid the price for your sin. Your debt's been erased. And if you're here tonight and you've believed on the only begotten Son of God, you're not going to get to heaven and go, I'm really sorry, Jeff, but there was like eight things that Jesus didn't get. It isn't going to happen. The weight of the sins of the world were placed upon Jesus. The chastisement for our peace was placed upon him and by his stripes we are healed. Look at that matzah. You know why there's holes in it? Because he was pierced. You know why there are stripes on it? Because he was bruised. Do you know why that happened? Because you needed a savior and there's only ever been one. His name is Jesus, and so did I. And so I want to ask you tonight, if you'd bow your heads with me for a moment, and if you're here tonight, and you don't know for certain, you are uncertain that Jesus Christ is your personal Lord, He is your personal Savior. You have invited him into your life. I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to the offer of grace and forgiveness for your sin because you can either keep it yourself or you can let Jesus have it and he will forgive it and cleanse you and write your name in the Lamb's Book of Life in heaven because he's the only one that can put it there. And if that's you and you want to pray to invite Jesus into your life right now, 
Would you simply repeat these words after me? They've got to come from your heart to God's ears. I'll give you some words, but you have to mean them. Father, thank you for sending Jesus into the world. And I recognize that I am a sinner. And without him, I can't be saved. And so, Lord, I'm inviting you to come into my life and forgive my sin. To write my name in the Lamb's book of life. Lord, I thank you for the forgiveness of the cross. That you shed your blood in my place. I receive the free gift of eternal life right now by grace and through faith. I believe, Lord. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name. And Lord, we thank you for your body that was broken for us. Lord, thank you that you allowed that crown of thorns to be pressed on your head, that you allowed those nails to be driven through your hands. Lord, that nail through your feet, that the one who created the iron that made the nails submitted to the death of the cross so that we might have eternal life. And Lord, on that first Passover, as you broke that bread, you broke it and said, take, eat. As often as you eat of this bread, do so in remembrance of me tonight. King Jesus, we remember you. Let's partake together. Lord Jesus, we also recognize that without the shedding of blood, our sins would still remain. But your blood was shed. It was spilled on that rough, rugged cross on a hill called Calvary. You were nailed to a tree. You were lifted up. The curse of our sin was placed on you. Above your head was a sign. But really what was up there was a list of my debt. And you paid it in full. And Lord, as you took that cup of redemption and you blessed it, And you said, this cup is a new covenant and my blood shed for the remission of sin. You meant my sin, our sin. Anyone who will believe their sin can be dealt with by the blood of the cross. Or we thank you for shedding your blood so that our sins might be completely forgiven. Past, present, and future. Lord Jesus, we do remember you partake together. Would you stand with me? Let's thank the Lord. Lord, we thank you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your blood that was shed on Calvary's cross. We thank you for your body that was broken. We thank you that grace is a free gift those of us who believe by faith in the only begotten Son, we believe, Lord, and we thank you for dying for us so that we might have eternal life. Lord, we thank you that Friday, Good Friday, is good. We thank you that that one last Passover was celebrated. We thank you that no other Passovers are necessary 
because you died once and for all and for all. And so, Lord, we love you. We honor you. We bless you. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray all these things. Amen.